listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 16th of May 2022. Later Chinese growth concerns hit investor sentiment, but first to the issue of housing affordability, where the government has proposed a scheme where first home buyers can access some of their superannuation to buy a home. Now, there are different versions of these sorts of schemes around the world, including in Canada, Singapore, and in New Zealand. In Singapore, for example, it has has a bespoke savings and pension plan to fund retirement, healthcare and housing needs. And Canada has a scheme called the Home Buyers Plan, which allows for a maximum 35000 Canadian dollar withdrawal from a registered retirement savings plan, which is then repaid over 15 years. Now, earlier today, I spoke with Miles Workman. He's a senior economist at ANZ in New Zealand, and I asked him about New Zealand's version to find out what kind of an impact it has had on the market. So, Miles, can you tell me exactly how New Zealand's early access to super for housing works and when was it introduced? So the KiwiSaver Fund was introduced in 2007. Uh, It's essentially, its main purpose is a retirement savings vehicle, uh, meaning that most people don't access the fund until they meet retirement age, which in New Zealand is 65, uh, at least currently. Uh, But there are a couple of carve-outs. So if you're in financial hardship, for example, uh, or if you want to buy your first home, uh, you can access those funds prematurely. Uh, There is quite strict criteria uh, that you do need to meet to access those funds if you are buying your first home. Uh, You do need to be uh, in the fund and contributing for at least three years. Uh, And that's probably the the big hurdle, um, I think, for for most first home buyers. The proposed uh, Australian experience will be something along the lines of accessing 40% of your super fund. Um, What are the limits in New Zealand or is there something comparable there? Well, I think the big limit in terms of what you can access um, in in New Zealand, if you are a first home buyer, is simply the fact that the fund is relatively new. So it it was set up only in 2007. Uh, So uh, for most, they can, most people can actually withdraw most of their funds, so you can withdraw all the money you put in, all the money your employer puts in, any contributions from the government, uh, and any uh, interest earned. You can withdraw all of that. Um, There are a few, uh, like the Kickstarter grant, that's $1,000. You do have to keep that in there. Uh, But essentially, for most people, they can withdraw pretty much you know, most of, of their KiwiSaver. Uh, the big limitation for withdrawals, of course, is the fact that you do need to be in the fund uh, for three years uh, before you can make a withdrawal and the fact that it's still a relatively new fund being established in 2007 and a lot of people only contributing maybe, you know, two, three, four percent of their income, uh, then, you know, that's a natural cap on, on how much money is in that pool to be able to withdraw. Okay, so the key question then is, has it worked? Has it met its intended use? And has there been any adverse impact like a rise in house prices attributed to that? So the fund, or KiwiSaver funds are certainly being used to buy first homes. Um, We we see uh, in the year to June 2021, uh, first home withdrawals were about 9%. 
the size of new lending to first home buyers. So if you step back and you do a really rough back of the envelope, you would say that you know there are first home buyers out there uh, who, if they need to come up with say a twenty percent deposit, their KiwiSaver funds uh, might account for you know almost half of that in some cases. Uh, so it's certainly been used. Uh, is it working in terms of making an actual difference to the housing market? That's a bit more of a tricky question, uh, simply because we don't know how much these first home buyers would have been saving if the KiwiSaver funds didn't exist. I don't think we can tee up 100% of those KiwiSaver funds to savings that just wouldn't have existed. I think a lot of those people uh, you know, will be forward-looking. They will have a, a goal in mind to buy a home one day. Uh, they'll have a choice, put it into the KiwiSaver, withdraw it when I buy a house. Uh, or maybe put it into another type of investment and use it then to buy a house. So it's one of those things that gets really difficult to quantify um, because you'll never actually know the counterfactual. Uh, in terms of any adverse impacts, say, you know, a common one you might hear is it's bidding up house prices. Um, look, I, I think, again, that's a really hard one to isolate. Uh, New Zealand's had a big, long list of uh, policies directed at shifting the balance in terms of buying power from uh, investors more towards first home buyers. We've seen that with our LVR restrictions. We've seen that with the removal of interest deductibility uh, on uh, on rental properties for so an investor targeted uh, policy. Uh, so when you add all that policy noise on top of this, it's very difficult to actually estimate what the impact it's having. I'd say marginally, yes, it's it's helping first home buyers out. It's adding a little bit more to demand. But when you really step back and look at the overall housing cycle, I think what house prices have really been responding to recently is uh, very, very low interest rates. Miles Workman there from ANZ, who's a senior economist based in New Zealand. From housing, let's go to the Australian share market, which rose today 0.3%, the 207,093, although it did open stronger. For more, I spoke earlier with Elio D'Amato from Daylight Financial Services. Elio, the market opened strongly but faded in the afternoon, predominantly because of some Chinese economic data. Can you tell us why? Yeah, the big driver of our market today was uh, Chinese retail sales figures, which showed a retraction of some 11% uh, in April. Now, that's uh, year on year. Of course, lockdowns in Shanghai hurt economic activity quite significantly, and it was actually worse than what analysts were forecasting, uh, which was a decline of around 5.9%. So, this latest result compounds the March retail sales figures, which were actually down 3.5% uh, year on year. Chinese industrial output also fell 2.9% uh, in April. And in another surprise, Chinese, the Chinese Central Bank, they decided to leave their one-year medium-term lending facility at 2.85%. Uh, and there were some expectations that this might be cut in order to support the economy. So last, week's on, last week, we saw iron ore prices fall, for example. So the reason why we saw, uh, you know, uh, some support come back into the market after what was a pretty rapid sell down was reports that are uh, coming from Chinese media that Shanghai will actually begin a staged reopening from Monday. And this is a huge sigh of relief. Uh, many of us have been holding our breath for quite some time as China's been going through their latest COVID travails. So just a reminder, though, that uh, COVID isn't quite behind us just yet and still has the potential to move our market. So we know China and those lockdowns are impacting market and sentiment because of global supply chain issues and also if China slows, the rest of the world can potentially slow, especially Australia. But, but what are the other key themes impacting investor sentiment right now? 
Well, the two main items are the two eyes, inflation and interest rates. They're very much front of mind of investors at the minute, particularly in an election year, where there's a lot of stimulatory promises, uh, which work in direct contrast to what the RBA is trying to do, where it would like to see a little bit of heat come out of the economy. Uh, look, we continue to see companies lament about supply chain issues, labour issues, and of course, the cost of doing business um, as reasons across the board that are leading to decline in margins. Now, Companies have been very good at cutting costs and running efficiently on account of COVID. And analysts are a little worried that, you know, there's very little in the way of levers that a company can now pull in order to maintain that strong focus on cutting costs and keeping margins very, very strong. And unfortunately, people think now we're on the wrong side of the cost curve, which means we are likely to go up, which means our profitability comes down. And that unfortunately leads to people selling early. And finally, in this environment then, as a result of all of that, where do you see the opportunities or what do you like right now? Look, I am a little cautious at the moment overall for the market as there's a number of unknowns from an economic and policy perspective that could impact the health of the Australian consumer as well as business confidence in the short term. Um, so if you want to, look for stocks at the start of the economic food chain where demand for their services are relative, relatively inelastic uh, and really they can afford to pass on any rising cost to consumers. Uh, commodities, both hard and soft, uh, like agriculture, for example, um, staples, supermarkets, the uh, early stage retailer, as it were, and be wary of those stocks whereby uh, there's a number of inputs into the process whereby costs are rising along the board, leading to a much larger uh, cost of doing business by the time it gets to them. Um, and while there's some deep value appearing in the healthcare and IT space, Patients are still advised. Uh, the high PE unwinding still continues. Uh, there is going to be a time to buy, but there's some time yet before the bus pulls out of the station there. And banks, the barometer of our economy now, whilst they are the beneficiaries of a rising rate environment, they will, you know, the, whether they're going to find as many willing customers in a new high inflation world is going to be interestingly, uh, interesting, I should say. And more importantly, you know, will they be as generous as they were during the lockdowns in keeping businesses alive and people in their homes? I suppose time will tell. But uh, yes, investors in the banks are very much looking for an improvement in their net interest margin, which should help their bottom line. Earlier, D'Amato there from Daylight Financial. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.